podcast from Sports Ethos, your place for worldwide sports coverage. I'm your host, Tino Ganasius. You can find me on Twitter at TinoJr20 and the podcast at Ethos Mariners. Coming to you Monday, July 31st, heading into the Major League Baseball trade deadline. On the today's Mariners cast, we will recap Saturday and Sunday's games against the Arizona Diamondbacks in which the Mariners went one and one, but took Friday's game to win the series uh, 2-1. We will preview the Boston Red Sox upcoming series uh, against the Seattle Mariners starting today in Seattle. And then we will talk uh, what moves the Mariners can or should make uh, heading into this trade deadline. There were a couple of interesting articles that came out recently uh, over the last day or so about the Mariners and their intentions. Uh, Bob Nightingale of USA Today uh, just came out and said that the Mariners are listening to certain players on their roster, including Ty France, Taylor Scott Hernandez, and Paul Seawald. We will discuss that, as well as uh, an artic- a Lookout Landing article that put forth three potential Logan Gilbert trades uh, that I found very interesting. So let's get into it. The Mariners are 54 and 51, five and a half games out of first, four and a half games out of the wild card, seven and three in their last 10, with a plus 36 run differential. Mariners, as I said, took two of three from the Arizona Diamondbacks over the weekend. Uh, Saturday's game, the Mariners lost 4-3. This was a game the Mariners could have won. Uh, They were up 3-0 going into the bottom of the fourth. Uh, but Brian Wu pitched okay in this game. Five innings, seven hits, three runs, two walks, no strikeouts. Uh, but did not look great. Did not look great moving forward. Not a ton of encouraging signs from this start from Brian Wu. But the loser ultimately was Andres Munoz, who moved to two and four. Uh, a bit of a goofy, goofy run that he gave up. Uh, in the bottom of the eighth, it was a walk to Corbin Carroll and then a balk and then a stolen base of third and Dominic Canzoni uh, drove in Corbin Carroll for the Diamondbacks to take the 4-3 lead and they hung on to win it 4-3. So again, woo, five innings, three runs. Munoz took the loss. Mariners offer it, offense was, wasn't was great. Uh Tom Murphy hit a two-run home run, or excuse me, a home run. He had a sack fly in this game as well. Um, But what I walked away from this game with was a couple of things. One, Brian Wu needs work specifically against left-handers. We'll talk about that in a minute. And the Mariners need to execute if they expect to win. Uh, The Mariners don't overwhelm other teams with offense. And so a team like that needs to execute in situations when they can. Tom Murphy certainly did in the second inning with the sacrifice fly. Uh, Eugenio Suarez had a really beautiful play where he was playing in, um, in on the dirt or off the dirt and made a great diving stop of a grounder in the hole for a 5-6-3 double play. Uh, he's been really underrated defensively this season, I think. And um, this was a, yet another play by Suarez that, I didn't expect him to make, uh, but a beautiful play, nevertheless. Uh, 
Suarez hit a sack fly in the third uh, for the Mariners to go up 2-0. Another example of good execution. Just prior to that, Julio came up with first and third and no outs and hit a 5-4 fielder's choice where he did not execute. So thankfully for the Mariners, Gino was able to execute behind Julio, but Julio has had a number of opportunities to come through, including in this game, and has not. Uh, One other example of execution by the Mariners was Cade Marlowe's triple in the ninth off of Andrew Chafin, who is a very tough left-handed pitcher. I think that was a good sign from Marlowe in the future against left-handers. It was a one-two count. He did get a middle-middle fastball at 93, but for him to hit it into the gap for a triple um, was really, really nice and gave the Mariners a chance to uh, come back to tie the game. Unfortunately, they weren't able to. Uh, J.P. Crawford walked on eight pitches, and Julio, who was much maligned for this at-bat at the end of the game, I thought put together a pretty good at-bat against a tough pitcher in Scott McGuff. It was an eight-pitch strikeout. Um, he fouled off a ton of pitches. He did chase that last pitch. That was a splitter uh, way low and away for strike three, but he had hung in there. Um, he did have pitches to hit. There were a couple of hung splitters from McGuff and then a couple of uh, fastballs as well. So it's not as if he didn't have pitches to hit, but he wasn't able to come through. So that was kind of the biggest, most glaring example of a lack of execution by the Mariners, but, you know, Tailscar Hernandez chased a really egregious sweeper that was way low and outside for a strikeout against Brandon Fott in the fourth. Um, that was ugly. And then Brian Wu, just a lack of execution and a lack of a, a an effective pitch against lefties really did him in. He threw, uh, when Canzoni drove in uh, Christian Walker in the fourth inning. Brian Wu had him 0-2 and grooved him a middle-middle fastball 0-2 that Canzoni singled uh, off of. And then he gave up a triple to Alec Thomas that was a middle-middle fastball on a 1-2 count. And you just can't groove fastballs 0-2-1-2, and that's what he was doing. He only got five whiffs on 42 swings, which is good for 12% in this game and he got zero whiffs out of 21 fastballs um he wasn't locating he may not have even had you know his his best fastball but he really just didn't have anything to combat left-handers with 61 of his 73 pitches were fastball slider or excuse me fastball or sinker in this game and were within the velocity band of 93.6 up to 96.9 so if you know within three and a half miles an hour how fast the pitch is going to be, you can really start to hone in on on what's coming. And he just needs more pitches. He needs more pitches, different pitches, different velocity. Um, it's something he's going to have to work on uh, this offseason. And I, I fully expect the Mariners to help him develop that because the arm is great. But it's glaring how, how bad uh, Brian Wu needs another pitch, specifically, as I said, against left-handers. Um. So that's about it on Wu. Uh, Again, he threw 73 pitches and 61 of them were fastballs or sinkers in a very similar velocity band. He only threw uh, eight cutters, three sliders, and one changeup. No whiffs 
on anything other than the sinker. Uh, so again, work to do. I think he was lucky to get out of this game, giving up only three runs in five innings. So Mariners go into Sunday's game tied with the Diamondbacks 1-1 in this series with Luis Castillo on the mound against Merrill Kelly. Merrill Kelly's been pretty good on the season, but Castillo in this game was lights out. His fastball was up a little over a half tick at average 96-9. He got 10 whiffs on 27 uh, swings on the fastball, um, 16 whiffs on 51 swings overall for 31%. Uh, whiff rate, which is about what he's averaged this season. And he got the win, moved to seven and seven, six innings, two hits, no runs, one walk, seven strikeouts on 102 pitches, moved to a 2.88 ERA. And this was just vintage Luis Castillo. His fastball had a ton of life up in the zone. It's very clear the Diamondbacks couldn't do anything, couldn't do anything with it. And then Justin Topa, Matt Brash and Taylor Saucedo came in to close out the last three innings of this game. Mariners pitching obviously looked phenomenal, only giving up uh, three hits and no runs. The offensive star in this game was J.P. Crawford. He went two for three, three runs, an RBI, a double, a homer, and two walks. Um, He was a star. He carried the offense. Uh, Ty France did go three for four with an RBI. But this was all about J.P. Crawford and Luis Castillo this game. Uh, Not a lot to add with uh, Castillo, just that he threw 46% fastball, which is pretty much in line with this season, which is 43%. 30% slider, so up about 7.5 percentage points on the slider. But um, fastball slider is pretty much all he needed, 16 sinkers sinkers and then eight changeups as well. Uh, but again, vintage Castillo looked phenomenal. And then one other thing I wanted to point out in this game was that there was one ball off the bat of Josh Rojas in the bottom of the fifth to right center field where Castillo looked like he knew he gave up a home run or an extra base hit at minimum as he turned around, uh, ball off the bat, and Julio tracked it down. It was a uh, 630 expected batting average off the bat, according to Savant. But I think there are examples like this of the value that Julio Rodriguez brings to this Mariners team that is not spelled out in his at-bats. Everyone looks to his offense to always um, to understand you know, his value or what he's doing wrong. And I think his defense has been vastly underrated this season. And this particular Josh Rojas hit a batted ball just reminded me of, of, you know, how good Julio has been defensively. So again, just little examples of his value. Um, This was one of them. The other, uh, the other detail from this game I wanted to point out was I just loved the, uh, the approach that Castillo had um, specifically against Corbin Carroll kind of took him to school there was one at bat. I don't have it down here in my notes specifically where Castillo threw fastballs to Carroll and then, and they were, you know, 96, 97, 98 miles an hour. And then ended the at bat with a uh, swinging strike on a changeup at 90. That was outside. But when you're facing the type of velocity and movement that Luis Castillo has on that fastball as a rookie, and then he comes at you with that changeup, it's just, it's 
you know, welcome to the bigs kid type of type of at bat. And um, I just think Luis Castillo is a professional and he looked phenomenal in this game. So again, Mariners win four, nothing Mariners move to 54 and 51 and they take on the Boston Red Sox uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, the Red Sox are 56 and 49. They come into this series, eight games behind the Baltimore Orioles Two and a half games out of the wild card, five and five in their last 10, and a run differential of plus 48. Uh, similar performing teams, Boston and Seattle overall. Uh, obviously, tough divisions. Both the uh, American League East and West are not easy divisions to play in. Uh, the comparison of the offense and the pitching, Boston is averaging 4.99 runs per game. That's good for sixth in baseball. Mariners 4.52 runs per game, 15th in baseball. So Boston has a top six offense. The Mariners are right at league average. Uh, Offensively, the Mariners walk a little bit more than the Red Sox. They strike out uh, almost 5% more often than the Red Sox do. Mariners have seven more home runs, three fewer steals, and the Red Sox slugging percentage is 435 versus the Mariners 397. So uh Mariners walk a little more, strike out a lot more, homer a little bit more, similar speed on the base base paths and Boston has a bit, bit better slugging percentage that's coming off of extra base hits and average primarily. Uh pitching wise, Mariners are almost a half run better uh ERA than the Red Sox are. Mariners have a 119 whip as a team, Red Sox one two nine. Uh, Red Sox walk about a half a percentage point more than the Mariners do, seven point six percent versus seven percent. And the Mariners strike out twenty four and a half percent versus Boston's twenty three. So Mariners have the better pitching. Uh, pretty clear that the Mariners have the better pitching in this matchup. Uh, Mariners hitters walk more; they strike out more. Boston is a better hitting team overall. So. Pretty fair matchup, I think, in this series between the two teams. Uh, Today's pitching matchup is Nick Pavetta against George Kirby. We will dig into both pitchers in a moment. Uh, Tuesday, it's Brian Bayo against Bryce Miller, both rookies. And then Wednesday, it's Cutter Crawford against Logan Gilbert. So Nick Pavetta, right-handed pitcher, 30 years old. He was drafted in the fourth round by the Washington Nationals in 2013 he is a free agent in 2025. Pavetta on the season is 7-5 and five with a 4-1-1 ERA and a 1-1-7 whip. Uh, he has 100 strikeouts in 81 innings, 61 hits, 34 walks. So a 10% walk rate, almost a 30% strikeout rate, which is I was pretty surprised by when I saw that. Um, nothing too crazy. Pretty low BABIP, um, but also pretty low left on base percentage. Uh, 11.9% swinging strike rate, which is tied for his career high that he set in 18 and not a big platoon split other than lefty slug, um, 85 points higher than righties do, but average and on-base percentage are very similar. I found it interesting that his velocity and movement comps on Savant were Dustin Verlander, 2008, 18 and 2023. Trevor Bauer in 18, Drew Rasmussen in 21, and Dylan Cease in 23. Those were his velocity and movement comps on his pitches. Those are some pretty good pitchers. So 
Obviously, he has um, really good stuff. Uh, 51% fastball at 94.5 miles an hour, 23% whiff rate on that fastball. 27% curveball at 79 miles an hour, uh, 27% whiff rate on the curve. And then 19% slider at 87 miles an hour, 38% whiff rate on the slider. Those are the three primary pitches that he throws. So you're looking at fastball, curveball, slider, um, good whiff rates on each, not surrendering a very high average to any of them. 233 on the curve is the highest and sub 400 slug on all three pitches. So uh, pitching very well, Nick Pavetta is. And then lastly, his zone contact rate is about 2% lower than league average and his whiff rate is about 2.5% above league average. So Despite the uh, 4.11 ERA, Pavetta is a tough out. Um, I think he's a formidable foe for the Mariners in this uh, game one of this series. George Kirby will go over really quickly, 9-8, 3-4-9 ERA, 108 whip, 2.4% walk rate, 22.6% K rate, 123 and two-thirds innings. Uh, lefties hit him a lot better, 272 with the 491 slug. Righties, 237 with the 336 slug. Six of his last eight starts have been quality starts, which means they are six or more innings of uh, three runs or less. And the other note on Kirby that I want to pass along is he hasn't thrown a ton of splitters on the season, but he threw 17 of his 89 pitches in his last start against the Twins on July 25th were splitters. So increased splitter usage. Uh, I spoke a lot about how I really like the splitter from Kirby, and I think it's a smart pitch for him to throw. I hope to see even more of those in this game against the Red Sox. Red Sox offense individually, according to Baseball Savant, uh, leading off in left field, Jaron Duran. Duran is hitting 315 with a 507 slug so far this season, a 134 WRC plus, uh, six homers and 21 RB or 21 stolen bases from Duran. Um, it is what? Or Duran, it is what people expected from him when he came up as a highly rated prospect over the last couple of years. Hitting second, Matsutaka Yoshida, DH, 30 years old. He was the big free agent signing out of Japan by the Red Sox. Uh, Yoshida's hitting 308 with a 487 slug and a 133 WRC plus. Both are left-handed. Justin Turner hitting third at second. Uh Turner has been really great this year, 17 homers, uh, hitting 287 with a 483 slug. Rafael Devers, their star third baseman, hits fourth. Devers is doing normal Devers things, 261, 329, 517 with a 122 WRC plus and 25 home runs. Tristan Casas has been very hot as of late, their top first base prospect, left-handed hitter, uh, hitting at first base, hitting sixth. Adam Duvall, he has been on the trade trade block, so we might see him moved during this series, but hitting sixth in center field. Seventh is Alex Verdugo, left-handed hitter, does not hit for a ton of power, um, has seven home runs on the year, but is typically a high average hitter, hitting 272. Eighth is Connor Wong, their starting catcher, and ninth, Yu Chang, their starting shortstop. Not much on the bench. Catcher Jorge Alfaro, Christian Arroyo, Pablo Reyes, and Rob Ref Snyder. So, but the offense has played really well. On the top of that offense, um, Duran, Yoshida, Turner, Devers, Casas is very tough. 
Pitching wise, the Mariners will see Nick Pavetta, Brian Bayo, and Cutter Crawford. Uh, the Red Sox have a very good bullpen with Chris Martin and Kenley Jansen being the eighth and the ninth inning pitchers. Uh, Pavetta, as I said, 411 ERA. Uh, Brian Bayo is a rookie, 24 years old, 366 ERA uh, in 96 innings. He's pitched very well. And then Cutter Crawford, 77 innings to a 386 ERA. So Mariners going to miss James Paxton. Uh, luckily, Paxton has been very good this season. We all know he can be great if he's healthy. But we'll face Pavetta Crawford and uh, Bayo. So the Red Sox have suffered some injuries this season. Uh, Trevor Story was their big free agent signing last year. Uh, they expected him to play in the middle infield. Uh, he's been a star for the Rockies prior to signing with the Red Sox. He's not; He was not great last year. He had elbow surgery. He's expected back pretty soon for the Red Sox. Um, he would be one of their stars. He would lengthen that lineup, give them six legitimate hitters at the top. And then Adalberto Mondesi as well has not really played much. So those two offensive players and then pitching-wise on the injured list currently, Tanner Houck. Corey Kluber, Chris Sale, and Garrett Whitlock, all four were expected to be uh, part, either part of the starting staff or really important relievers. So tons of injuries, um, both offensively and defensively, to this team, and yet they are still in uh, the playoff hunt. And then organizationally in the minors, they have some really, really nice uh, hitting prospects their top five, according to uh, MLB Pipeline, are Marcelo Mayer, shortstop. He was, uh, I believe, the fourth pick in the draft a couple of years ago, left-handed swing. He, in some ways, is a left-handed Xander Bogertz, um, not real fast, uh, will hit for some power, probably not a 30-home run hitter, but probably 25, I'm guessing, very pretty left-handed swing, um, plays a consistent shortstop, bigger for a shortstop, 6'2", 188 is what he's listed at, um, but a top prospect, a consensus top 10 prospect in baseball. Sedan uh, Rafaela is their number two rated prospect. He will be a center fielder. They have him listed as short as well. He can play short, uh, explosive player, fast, can hit for some power, only 5'9", he's 22 years old. Nick York is ranked third, according to Pipeline. I have him a bit lower, not a big fan of York. Um, bat first, second baseman. Miguel Blaze is out, I believe, for the season. He's been injured, but big-time um, right-field prospect. Uh, 6'3", nice right-handed bat. Um, those of you who play in Dynasty know all about Miguel Blaze. And then the fastest riser has been Roman Anthony. He was drafted last season, in, I believe, in the second round. He's 19 years old. Hitting the cover off the ball in uh, minor leagues this season. He's in high A right now, but a really nice prospect. So some good hitting prospects. I'd say some really high upside guys with Mayer, Blaze, and Anthony. Uh, not a lot of pitching as of right now, um, but a solid system nevertheless. Kind of a, you know, interesting team overall as an organization. There's certainly talent across the board. You would expect them to spend a little more money, and they're struggling a bit with their um, with their pitching, with not a ton of pitching on the way. So, uh, I'd rather be in the Mariners' position if I was a fan, 
supporting one of those, these two teams, but the teams look very evenly matched up for this series. So this brings us to the trade deadline. We have just over 24 hours left, but I believe about 27 hours left in the trade deadline. The Mariners have been the topic of conversation nationally. Um, obviously, the young pitching, that is the envy of uh, Major League Baseball. Logan Gilbert is the name that comes up most often. As I said previously, I think he is the player that has the the most proven track record combined with with tradability and youth. I think Kirby is past that point where the Mariners would be willing to trade him because he's been, he is so accomplished and I think has a higher upside than Gilbert does. Uh, But Gilbert has thrown a bunch of innings. He's a horse. He's attractive to other teams. So he's the name that's coming up the most. Uh, Bob Nightingale of USA Today reported that the Mariners are listening on Ty France, Teoscar Hernandez, and Paul Sewald. Uh, I don't know how much value Ty France has as of um, as of now. You know, I've said before, not my favorite Mariner. Um, I believe he's about at a 100 WRC plus, if I'm not mistaken, which to have a league average bat as your starting first baseman is not great. Uh, if you trade him, he is a 100 even. WRC plus with seven home runs, hitting 253, 324 with a 367 uh, slugging percentage. What are you getting back for France? I don't know. Um, what are you going to get back of help, of assistance to this team? Maybe you can get some semblance of a an innings eater uh, to help out once Brian Wu is shut down. Mariners don't need help in the bullpen. Uh, again, I don't really know what you're getting back for, for uh, Ty France at this point in time. Teoscar Hernandez, on the other hand, I think has a different sort of track record, a more explosive player. I understand his WRC plus is only 93, but he has hit 16 home runs. I do think that he is valued by other teams. He plays a um, a pretty steady right field. And uh, he will be a free agent at the end of the year. So could I see him playing a role on uh, another contender? I certainly could. Uh, if the Mariners traded Tailscar, are they just trying to mix it up? Or are they doing it because they think that he needs to go? Not sure. Um, but, you know, if I'm the Mariners, I probably would hold. I don't know. The How do I say this? What Teoscar Hernandez could do for the Mariners if he got hot and the Mariners stayed in contention is worth more, in my mind, to the Mariners than trading him for a longer-term piece because that piece coming back is not necessarily going to help the Mariners this season. So both France and Hernandez I see as um, not, not the Mariners waving the white flag, but certainly looking towards 24 I would like to see the Mariners hold on to Teoscar for sure. And then Paul Seawald, uh, 24 is going to be his last arbitration year. He'd be a free agent 25. He is one of the best relievers in baseball and I think would have carry tremendous value to really any bullpen. Um, he also 
he has very uh he's very good against both righties and lefties. Uh he's a veteran, he's steady, uh, and he's dynamite. So we will see if the Mariners trade Seawald. Um again, he's been lights out uh the past couple of seasons for the Mariners. I do think that there's a uh I think that there's a cost in dealing Paul Seawald in that he is a part of the Mariners um, clubhouse chemistry. He is a leader. Uh, I'm not a huge believer in chemistry. I think that, but I do think that if you, if you are Jerry DePoto, you understand that the performance of Paul Seawald is replaceable. The Mariners can continue to turn out bullpen arms. You're not, so worried about replacing Seawald in the ninth inning. You obviously have um, Munoz and Brash as two huge arms at the back end of that bullpen, just to, you know, just to name a few. But if you do trade him, say you traded Seawald and you traded Teoscar Hernandez, what are you signaling to your team, right? What do the rest of the other 24 players in that clubhouse think if those two guys are dealt. I think the I think they think that we're that the front office isn't serious about making the playoffs this season. And um they're become there it breeds a bit of negativity. So I know that they're trying to walk that line. I am not a huge believer in team chemistry in that manner, but I think it is something to consider if Teoscar Hernandez and or Paul Seawald are to be dealt. And then the last player is Tom Murphy. He's also going to be a free agent at the end of the year. I think he's been hitting too well. Um, as the short side platoon catcher and provided too much of a spark to the Mariners for them to consider trading him. So you've got the names, Teoscar Hernandez, Tom Murphy, Ty France, Paul Seawald, Logan Gilbert. Uh, I know they're listening on all of them. Um, We will see uh, what they do in the next 24 hours. I don't think the Mariners will deal any of them. Um, that's what my gut says. But as I said earlier, we will preview or review three of uh, the trades that were put out by Lookout Landing uh, as potential trades of Logan Gilbert. I found them fascinating. Um, and to be honest with you, if the Mariners were offered any of these three trades, I would say yes, if I was uh, the Mariners GM. So the first one is Logan Gilbert to the St. Louis Cardinals for outfielder Lars Newtbar, second baseman or utility guy, uh, Tommy Edmond, and starting pitcher and free agent to be Jack Flaherty. Uh, Flaherty is an obvious downgrade over Gilbert. Um, that goes without saying, both from uh, years of control and performance. Flaherty was a former uh, first-round pick who was a an up and coming right-handed um you know superstar basically who got hurt and uh has not pitched nearly as well over the last couple of seasons Newt Bar this is a left-handed hitting uh corner outfielder on the season he's hitting 273 377 433 with 10 homers and 7 steals he's been worth two and a half fangrass war he is a high on base percentage high walk rate, um, corner outfielder with some power. Uh, You can equate some of his approach to J.P. Crawford. Uh, A little more power, a little more explosiveness from Newtbar, but um, similar in that sense. I This is completely out of left field, but 
Lars Newbar and Shohei Otani are friends um, from the World Baseball Classic. If I was trying to pull out all the stops to sign Otani, uh, having Newbar on this team is not a bad place to start. I know that sounds random, but it's, I think when it comes to a player like Otani, you kind of have to do whatever you can. You see this more in basketball um, with acquiring players who are friendly. Uh, Tommy Edmond can play second, can play short, can play a little bit of third, can play outfield. 237, 303, 391 on the season, seven homers, 14 steals. Has been worth 1.2 fan graphs war. He's a switch hitter, but also 91st percentile outs above average. So a very versatile player. You would probably slot him in at second um, for the Mariners. Uh, would be of help. I think that would he be a great player to acquire. Um, Flaherty's been okay. He would eat innings. I think you would expect him to go five and then go to the bullpen. Uh, again, downgrade from Gilbert, but still a professional, still has some upside. Um, I would assume the Mariners would not re-sign him uh, at the end of the year. But to put Newt Barr in the outfield, to slot him in at the top of the lineup. Now you've got Newbar and Crawford against right-handers getting on base um, for the rest of the lineup. And then Edmund, a huge offensive upgrade over what the Mariners have at second. It is a trade that I think really does elevate the Mariners' offense. The downgrade pitching-wise is not – while there, it is a downgrade, it's not quite as um, as steep as you think. Uh, because Flaherty is probably a, a true four and a half ERA pitcher or low fours um, ERA pitcher, whereas Gilbert is more of like a, a mid threes ERA pitcher. Down the road, obviously, losing Logan Gilbert would hurt. But this is a, a, a trade that I think would help the Mariners this season and help the offense down the road. The second option or the second trade that uh, Lookout Landing put out was to trade to the Tampa Bay Rays, Logan Gilbert and Paul Seawald for Brandon Lau, second baseman, Junior Caminero, pro, uh, third base prospect, right-handed pitching prospect, Colby White, and corner infielder, um, Austin Shenton, Shenton, who was a Mariners prospect previously. Uh, really the headliner in this deal is Caminero. He is the number 14 prospect overall in baseball, according to MLB Pipeline, and number two, with baseball prospectus, uh, Caminero is just a power hitting, right-handed power hitting um, corner infielder who is a potential superstar. So the Mariners will be getting a top, top prospect. Brandon Lau is, has had some very good, big power output um, seasons for the Tampa Bay Rays. He's under club control, I believe, without looking until 26. Left-handed bat. Upgrade over what the Mariners have could get very hot over stretches. Um, I think he would provide a lot of a, a big boost, provided health, a big boost to the Mariners offense immediately. Um, so to get an upgrade at second and uh, a top, what I would consider a top 10 prospect in baseball for Gilbert and Seawald would be huge. Colby White and Austin Shenton are um, good prospects as well. I think they would slot in probably towards the bottom half of the top 10 of the Mariners prospects, um, maybe top half of the of the teams. But a trade I would make, 
again, I think Lau is a huge upgrade at second. Um, and Caminero's just is could be the man. Third option, Baltimore Orioles. Mariners send Logan Gilbert to the Orioles. Mariners acquire outfield first baseman Heston Kierstad, corner infielder Kobe Mayo, second baseman, corner outfielder Connor Norby. All three of these guys are in AAA for Baltimore. All three have been – so Mayo and Norby have been top 100 prospects, kind of back into the top 100 on most lists. Kierstad was the number two pick a couple of years ago by the Orioles, um, left-handed power bat. Kierstad and Mayo are, are power first bats. Mayo is right-handed, um, but both project to 25-plus home runs if they play regularly in, in uh, the majors. And Norby is a bat first um, second baseman. All three of these players could take places uh, on the Mariners ro- roster the minute they were traded for. I think Kierstad would be uh, they'd be a little bit left-handed heavy, I think, but Mayo could take the Ty France role. You could play Ford or Kierstad at first against righties and Mayo against lefties. Um, Mayo could DH a bit against lefties as well. I think Norby becomes your second, your starting second baseman almost immediately. Um, All three are, uh, almost ready, and I think ready to break in with the Orioles. And even if one of these three bats reached um, kind of their top-end potential, it's a, a deal you would consider making for Gilbert because Kirstad and Mayo have 30 home run potential. I think 20 to 25 is their floor. But you're talking about a 30 home run potential corner infielder or corner outfielder. And then Connor Norby, who was an offensive first, second baseman, in return for Gilbert, it would really balance out the Mariners lineup, the Mariners offense. Um, long-term, I think I like the Orioles trade the best. Uh, short-term, the Cardinals trade obviously would help the Mariners the most this particular season. But all three of those trades I would be willing to make if I was Jerry DePoto because I think the Mariners um, are that good at uh, producing pitching prospects. So, to, and, and would be that good at finding Logan Gilbert's replacement. So we'll see what happens again. It's about 27 hours away. Super excited for the deadline. I will be back right before the deadline tomorrow to talk about tonight's game, preview Tuesday's game against the Red Sox, and talk about some of the trades that have happened both in Major League Baseball and hopefully um, with the Seattle Mariners. So this was an extended version of Monday, uh, July 31st, Mariners cast. Appreciate the listen. Uh, we are brought to you by Sports Ethos. Once again, you can find me on Twitter at TinoJr20. That's T-I-N-O-J-R-2-0. And the podcast at Ethos Mariners, E-T-H-O-S-M-A-R-I-N-E-R-S. Mariners five and a half games out of first, four and a half games out of the wild card. They've got a shot. We'll see what they, uh, how much of a shot they think they have heading into this deadline. Uh, looking forward to talking to you tomorrow and recapping what's happened over the last 24 hours. Take care, y'all. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Peace.